chapter 1, starting in verse 46, this is what the scripture says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who are in awe of him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the self-satisfied he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. As we tune our hearts this morning into the truth of God's word, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that as we read it, it reads us. Uh, we thank you that we get the gift to read your word today. And we just ask that right here in these minutes and moments that we get to share together as a community, uh, that we would drop any preconceived idea that we might have about you, and that we would be willing this morning just to adhere to your word, adhere to your spirit, that we would invite and be hungry for a move of you, the living God who absolutely loves us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you look on our imperfections with absolute grace, mercy, and love. I ask that you would unlock us this morning, that we would encounter and experience you. And we just praise you and worship you and love you. We pray these things in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, and all the beloved said, amen. Uh, during our first Sunday of Advent, we talked about the significance of Christmas lights. Maybe you were here. And then this last Sunday, we talked about the incredible significance of what a Christmas tree and the reminder of that. Of one of the other most significant indicators or celebrations of this Christmas season is food and drink. Have you noticed that? The Christmas feasts and the parties where family and friends gather together. Uh, maybe you have a Christmas dinner tradition or you always make those certain side dishes from generations past. Christmas feasts, Christmas dinners happening all over the city with family or co-workers, friends and communities and shelters and homes, places of business all over in preparation and celebration of Christmas. And I absolutely love food and drink. I know my physique might not look like it, could get blown away in the wind, but I love it. I enjoy it. Uh, unless, of course, it's made in a crock pot, then my goodness, you're not going to heaven. But the Christmas feast is this reminder of what we just read right here in Luke chapter 1 of Mary's words. A deep reminder of the truth that the God of Christmas and the gospel that changes absolutely everything turns the value systems of the world completely upside down. Look at what we just read together. The scripture records, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant." His mercy are for those who are in awe of him from generation to generation. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the self-satisfied he sent away empty. Every single one of these verses is declaring that the coming king that is Jesus regards the lowly, fills the hungry, rejoices in the humble exalts the less and invites in the broken. In this moment of Luke 1, Mary is declaring that this good news of Christmas means that even the least, that even the sinner, that even the broken, the forgotten, the wounded, the exiled, the you, me, and even them are all invited to sit at the table for the Christmas feast. 
are all invited to come to the table. You see, in this moment, Mary's ears are filled with the earth-shattering news that a baby will be born who is Christ the Lord. And she exclaims, my soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. She's declaring, are you kidding me? The Lord God who is exalted above the heavens and the earth, the only one who is holy, the only one who is worthy, the one of perfect love and perfect grace has chosen me, is moving into my neighborhood has chosen, included me in the story. Is stooping down to our level. And in verse 53, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the self-satisfied, he has sent away empty. In that moment of verse 53 of Luke chapter 1, it's a call back to Psalm 107. It's a call back to the truth that the Lord God has and always will fill the hungry with good things. This is what that scripture records. Some wandered in the desert, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. For the Lord God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You see, he's seen our wandering. He comes to fill the hungry, to satisfy what nothing of this world ever could. The food and drink in this Christmas season. The Christmas dinner, the sitting down at the table in these moments, it's this beautiful resistance to the culture around us that excludes and exiles. Because the incarnation, the God who took on skin and bone, he comes into the world and he shares meals with people who are absolutely despicable. All throughout the narrative of scripture, Jesus is ridiculed just about every single time he sits down to share food or drink and a feast with family and friends. Every single time the narrative of scripture he is recorded, someone is recorded saying, why does he eat with sinners? Why why, why does he eat with tax collectors? Why is he going to Zacchaeus' house? Matthew's house? You got to be kidding me. He's a thief and a traitor. What is this woman of the night doing here? Doesn't doesn't Jesus know that she's a sex worker? Jesus, do you know who is at the table with you? This crew of your closest followers, they seem pretty common and ordinary. You sure you want them in the upper room? Why, Why is Mary anointing his feet? She's full of sin. The people sitting around your table, Jesus, they They seem broken. Sin-filled, outcasts, these these people are unclean. They shouldn't even be invited in. The way you already came into the world was low enough. Mary wasn't even married. She was poor, outcast, lowly. No place to be carrying the Son of God. Now you're including her and others that are just like her? You're breaking bread with the most despicable. How could you? His mercy is for those who are in awe of him. He fills the hungry with good things. He shatters the proud and the mighty because he exalts the humble and regards the lowly. In the narrative of Scripture, it is not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. No, it's by grace, in repentance of sin, we are invited from death to life. That you and I, through Jesus, that is the only way that we get an invite to this table. The Christmas dinner, the food and the drink in this season, the sharing of meals, they declare that in Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the King, at his table, 
Sinner and saint. Sex worker and savior. Male and female. Jew and Gentile. One race and another race. Moral and immoral. Cultural outsider and cultural insider. All are invited to sit down with the king of glory. All are invited to the Christmas feast of good news of great joy. All are invited to no longer live in a place of sin and in repentance experience new life forevermore that is the good news of Christmas. That's what Mary's describing in Luke 1 as she hears this earth-shattering news. She receives the news that she will bear a son who is the living God. And when she hears the news, her response is to exclaim that if the Lord God would come to her, then the Lord God will absolutely come to you. That if the Lord God will come to the most ordinary, broken, and low person in society, then the Lord God will absolutely come to you and I. And he has come not for the religious elite, not for the perfect. He has come for the imperfect. He has come for the back alley of humanity. He has come for the whosoever who is hungry for his presence. And the truth is that we should be rejoicing in that deep truth. Because the reality is that's us. That we are the back alley of humanity. We are the ones who have brokenness and imperfection and sin that wages war in our hearts. But here's the tragedy. His mercy are for those who are in awe of him. He fills the hungry with good things. And friends, so much of the time we are not in awe of this Christmas truth. So much of the time, the Christmas feast that we are invited to, we don't really know if we want to see it at the table. Because we declare that we are self-satisfied and filled already when really in the depths, we are absolutely starving for the Savior. That we respond to Christmas and have a heard it here before type of response. We operate in pride or pity and we downplay it all. We're so well adjusted to the culture around us that the body of Christ that is supposed to sound like Mary in this moment in absolute awe and wonder looks more bored than anyone else. That for some reason we are not exclaiming, are you kidding me? The living God has put on skin and bone and moved into the neighborhood for me. But take heart, we're not the only ones. Something like this has happened before. Maybe you and I can learn from it. You might be familiar with the story of the people of Israel being delivered out of slavery in Egypt. It's a story that the Lord God, through his servant Moses, saves his people. He delivers them and promises them a land flowing with milk and honey, flourishing and feasting. And the scripture records they get going on the journey. Moses parts the sea. You might be familiar with that part. It's wicked and awesome. The sea swallows up the Egyptians and it's incredible. The people of Israel, they begin a trek into the land that the Lord God has for them. But they're kind of like us. They don't really want to listen, so they're wandering around. And they leave Sinai and journey together by the guidance of the Lord God through the hand of Moses. And the Lord God is with them, leading them and guiding them. And that is already miraculous enough. But they're in the wilderness. And there's no food there. So the Lord God, who absolutely loves humanity, provides for his people. And the scripture records that he provides what is called manna from heaven. A bread from heaven provided miraculously for the people of Israel. Not just a little bit. 
but an absolute abundance so that day by day they could eat to their fill. Manna from heaven. It is absolutely wild. Food tangibly, literally being given to humanity to nourish their body, their mind, their heart, and their soul and their spirit. Manna coming from the heavenly Father with no effort given by the people, just the Lord God providing an absolute love and delight. And this is what it says in Numbers chapter 11 about that providing. And all the people of Israel wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Wait a minute. A moment ago you were in bondage and slavery and now you're set free. A moment ago you were broken and destitute, but now the Lord God is providing abundantly for you. A moment ago, your story was death. And now because the living God absolutely loves you, he invites you into life. Don't you see how miraculous this is, people of Israel? There is manna from heaven for you. But I guess remember the tragedy? His mercy is for those who are in awe of him. He feeds the hungry with good things. They lost their awe. They lost their wonder. Their amazement of the Lord God himself and the Lord God's providence. They thought like us, we could be filled with self. That we could make it self-sufficiently. That there might actually be something better other than the living God who calls us beloved. That we could be filled with things of this world when in reality we can only ever be satisfied by the Savior of it. The God born at Christmas is the true manna that comes down from heaven. Jesus is the provision for the people like in this story. Manna from heaven, born Savior in the outskirts of humanity. Provision literally and tangibly being given to the people to invite us from a place of death into the story of life forevermore with a God who loves us. Jesus comes from the heavenly Father with no effort given by the people, just the Lord God providing an absolute love and a life. That just like the manna for the people of Israel, Christmas is the provision for us, the people of God again, who are in the wilderness wandering around and in desperate need of saving. But why would the, why would the perfect God stoop down and come to us? He fills the hungry with good things. He regards the lovely. He exalts the humble. He moves into the brokenness, the outcast, the sinner, the exile. This Jesus, remember, he sits down and eats with sinners like me because he's the only provision for the brokenness inside of us. You and I are invited to the feast of the bread that has come down. And his name is Jesus. You and I are invited to the feast of the living water that has come down. And his name is Jesus. The Christmas dinner. That happens every year in homes, in neighborhoods, in businesses, all across the city with family and friends and maybe even enemies is this celebration that Savior and sinner are joined together again through the baby boy at Christmas in the true, true reality that he is the good and better manna that has come down from heaven. But have we lost our awe of that? Have we lost our wonder of that? Have we lost how good this really is? Are we hungry? 
Are we hungry for a move of the Spirit? Or are we like that of Israel? There's nothing at all but this manna to look at. There's nothing at all but this Christmas to look at. This gospel, this grace, the truth. We're so familiar with the Christmas story, but so unfamiliar with the God of perfect love and perfect grace. I mean, we read these passages every year, right? Isn't there something else? A baby born at Christmas? I mean, come on. All there is is this manna to look at. And our hearts grow dull because we aren't hungry. And I confess that my heart wanders like that of Moses and the crew. That I forget. I lose sight. Christmas is a season and we're just going through the motions of it. I confess and repent that my sinful nature distorts the reality. And like a passive fool, sometimes I do not live in absolute awe and wonder that the good news of Christmas changes everything about everything. That this is the good news for all of humanity that sometimes I don't sound like Mary in this moment. Exclaiming with all of her soul that she is ecstatic and overflowing with praise and adoration that the Lord God exalts the lowly. That the Lord God has chosen us. I confess that sometimes I get so caught up that I try to self-fill. When the only one who can satisfy the starving in my heart is Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe you too. Maybe you're so consumed with self that the Savior just doesn't seem worth it anymore. Maybe you're so familiar with Christmas. So familiar with church. So familiar with this story of Jesus that the significance isn't worth the search. Maybe you're so filled with pride that you think you deserve a seat at the table. Maybe you're so filled with lies that you think that there's not a seat for you. The mercy, the awe, the wonder, exclaiming like Mary in this moment, what are we to do? How do we get our way back to the good news that it is and be in absolute awe of it as the body of Christ? You know, for just about everyone in this room, I imagine growing up, there was the adult table and there was the kids table at the Christmas dinner. Show of hands, anybody know about that? And I don't know about you, but as a kid, you were like banished at the kids table. You would like arrive at grandma's house or aunt, uncle's house or whoever you'd be eating your Christmas wheel with and you would go to the table and you would look for your place setting and you would look for your name and you might find it. You'd be like, dang it, I'm at the kids table again. No, I don't want to do this. And you'd be like so upset. You'd be like, I'm literally going to die at the kids table. Like this is going to be the bane of my existence forever. And you'd just be like, you're banished there. And that you just want to graduate from that kids table so bad until you sit at the adult table. And you realize how crazy these old people are. (laughs) And you're like, no, I don't want this. But I think that to get our awe and wonder back, to be hungry, starving for a move of the Spirit, I think it's a lot more simple than we think. Jesus comes born into the world. And the truth of Christmas is that Jesus... He invites us back to the kids' table. He invites us to come back to the kids' table and experience absolute provision. To just receive the simple truth that you and I did nothing to produce the perfect love that we are being given. But just like a kid at the table, receive. Receive. It's what we're worst at. But it's the only way, Jesus says, that we get the king and all of the kingdom. Receive. It's what the enemy tries to never let you do. 
but by grace and the power of the Holy Spirit through the joy of Christmas, we are invited back to the kids' table to receive. The manna that comes for the people of Israel to receive as nourishment, they don't just leave it there. You can't just look from afar. No, they had to dive into it. They had to bite into it. They had to digest it. Jesus comes to the people at Christmas, Savior for all of humanity, but you can't just look at Him. You can't just be so familiar from afar and never actually move towards it. you got to dive in. you got to bite into the gospel. you got to digest the depths of the Christmas feast and watch how it nourishes your heart, mind, body, and soul. Watch as that psalm now rings true in your life. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. But what does that practically look like for you and I? Just what Mary said, remember? Get rid of that pride and repentance. He regards the lowly. Get rid of the lie, shame, fear, guilt with the truth of God's delight in grace. Steep yourself in the scriptures. Snag a beer or a coffee or go to your favorite restaurant with a friend and share your sorrow. Share your joy. Confess your sin to one another. And share the deep truth that both of you are invited to the Christmas feast alongside the Savior. Talk about the gospel more than the gossip. When you wake up in the morning, reach for heaven instead of your phone. Put away all of the noise and just be still in absolute unfamiliarity with the good news of Jesus. Be a kid in awe and wonder at the kids' table hoping you never graduate to the place of losing your awe and wonder. The gospel changes everything and it's absolutely simple but so, so deep. And the depths of it can only ever be reached by childlike dependency. A kid at the table with the king. But how? My pride won't let me get there. But how? You don't know the brokenness of my story. Well, friends, the king is the one who set the table. He made your place savior. He wrote your name on the card. He created you and formed you. He fully knows you, fully loves you. The king knows your name. He invites you in. Take a seat, my child, Jesus says. This Christmas feast is for you.